Good morning. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm the pastor here at Eastern Shore Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website, www.myesbc.net. Of course, if you would like to visit us on a Sunday morning, you'll see that we have life group classes or Sunday school classes that start at 9 a.m. And our service starts every Sunday at 1010 a.m. Come by and see us. God bless you. And I hope that you are motivated to look more like Jesus through today's podcast. Illustrative videos of the gospel that's out there right now. And Jesus wants to know us, wants to know you and me. He came to save us. What a fantastic truth this morning. How many of you have ever seen the old-timey movie, The Hunchback of Notre Dame? Maybe you've seen the, uh, the Disney film, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. In the beginning... Uh, both of those movies, we meet a character by the name of Quasimodo. Uh, many of you uh, can recall uh, what Quasimodo looks like. He is the hunchback of Notre Dame. There's Quasimodo from the old school movie. He is living in Paris, and at the time it is the Festival of the Fools. And the crowds elected him not only to be the leader of the Festival of Fools, but to be the Pope of the Festival of Fools because he was the ugliest, he was the most deformed, and he was the most disturbing person to look at in Paris. If you remember, they heaved him up on a throne, they paraded him through the city streets as the crowds cheered at him and mocked him. And then we're introduced to the archdeacon, he appears and he stops the parade and he sends Quasimodo back to to Notre Dame because someone so hideous, and this is the quote, should stay out of the crowd's sight. And so Quasimodo retreats the bell towers and begins to ring the bells as he always had. And I was struck after seeing both the Disney movie and, of course, the old school movie, I was struck by the lack of compassion and empathy of the religious people of the day. I was struck how unfeeling uh, this man, this priest, this archbishop, how completely unfeeling and obtuse he was to someone that was in such dire circumstances and in such pain. And certainly we can relate to that because we've all experienced judgment and we've experienced judgment based on the clothes that we wear, our, our zip codes, our color, our weight, our height, our shortness, our past, where we are in the present, we've had people talk about us. We've had people mock us and mock our history or dismiss us because we didn't quite measure up to the standards that they had for us at the time. We all have a little bit of a Quasimodo living in all of us. All of us do. When you feel shoved aside like Quasimodo, remember that you are in phenomenal company. Jesus wasn't good enough either. He wasn't good enough for the religious leaders of the day. The officials marched him down the streets, not of Paris, but of Jerusalem. And the crowd, they mocked him and they called him a, a blasphemer. And some of us can relate to Quasimodo. And maybe more importantly, some of us can relate to Jesus. The woman in the gospel story today certainly relates to Christ. And we will 
come back to her in a moment. However, before we read that story, I want to draw together for you three statements, three simple things that I think that we can learn from today's message. And they're very, very brief, and they may look long on your order of worship, but we're going to run through these really fast so that we can get to the Scripture. Jesus is the embodiment of God's empathy. Jesus is the personification of God's compassion here on earth. He is the God of grace. He is the God of mercy. And when you look at Jesus, you are seeing that illustrated personally through his humanity and also through his divinity. He is the embodiment of God's empathy, and he is also the embodiment of God's heart. When you read stories about Jesus Christ, it's really clear and it's really understanding that we know that that Jesus is the heart of God living among human beings. And we see the very core of who God is through the person of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, these are the three statements. God's heart. Number one, God's heart, people are more important than procedures. People are more important than procedures. You can do the right thing the wrong way. And you can miss people because we're so locked into doing things a certain way. People are more important than procedures. We discover that in today's story. Again, in Luke chapter 10, verses 41 and 42, he says this, Jesus, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are so anxious and troubled with many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. See, Mary understood, although what Martha was doing was great and right, Martha Martha was missing people. She was missing worship. She was missing Jesus all because she was doing things. And it's really easy to miss Jesus. It's really to miss people because we get focused on procedures. Number two that we're going to learn from today's story is this. God's heart, healing is more helpful than legalistic habits. Healing is more helpful than legalistic habits. Again, the Pharisees, they had this idea that you couldn't work on a Sabbath day. By the way, if we were in Jewish tradition, we would be worshiping on Saturday, not Sunday. But nevertheless, the, the, the idea here is that the, the religious elite believed that you could not work on a Sabbath day. And they put all types of rules and regulations in, in way so that you would not work. But what if somebody comes and needs a healing? What if somebody comes and needs a touch or an encouragement or a welcome? Is that considered work? Well, according to the, uh, to the Jews, it was. And yet Jesus said, no, 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 no. Bringing a healing to someone is way more important than some legalistic habit that you've made up for yourselves. Bringing healing is always more important than a legalistic habit. Again, in Matthew 23, verses 27 through 28, what sorrow awaits you, teachers, being Jesus that's speaking, you teachers of the religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs. You're beautiful on the outside. People can see your works. They see how religious and pious you are, but you're filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Again, this idea of healing is more important than these legalistic habits. The third thing that I want us to realize from today's story is this. God's heart, availability to the ailing is more important than the sanctity of a sanctuary. 
Availability, being available to people that are hurting is more important than the sanctity of a man-made sanctuary. Again, these folks were in the synagogue when this place, when, when this story took place, and this woman was not allowed in. Oh my goodness. Heaven forbid that we are so holy and so pious that broken people can't walk in the doors of Eastern Shore Baptist Church. This is all just man-made anyway. I mean, this is a, an important place. I don't want to make light of that, but, but people are more important than the places. After all, friends, do you know that, this, burn, that this, this building could burn to the ground and we'd still have church? Do y'all realize that? This, this, what you're sitting in is not the church. You are the church. I am the church. If all of this turned to rubble and ash, we would still have church because we are the body of Christ. And we have to ask ourselves, are we available to people that are hurting personally, me and you? Are we available to those people? Would we allow those people to step into our own lives so that we could help them? In 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how, how in the world does God's love abide in him? If we're closed off to people that hurt, if we're closed off to folks that that need a special touch from Christ, then how can we say that we have the love of God in us at all? So this morning I want to give you the background of Luke chapter 13, verses 10 and 17, and these three points are going to connect with the last three points. Today we're reading about a story uh, that that engages an encounter with Christ, and this encounter was experienced by an unnamed woman. We don't know her name, and she had a, a mystery condition. We don't even know really what was wrong with her, but it left her badly crippled and badly disfigured, and we know, by the way, how long she had it. Scripture tells us that she was sick and ailing for some 18 years, and she lived in misery, and there was no cure for her pain. There was no cure for her condition. And the scripture also tells us that she could not walk. Therefore, if she could not walk, she had to crawl. And you can imagine living in these ancient worlds, these ancient cities. If you are a person who's got a disease and you've been suffering and you can't walk, you're dragging yourself now through the city streets, dragging yourself through the mud, dragging yourself through the dirt. This woman, it was not a pretty picture. She did not have her hair done to come to church. She did not have on the nice clothes that we have here today to come to church. This woman did not have it together. And yet, we know that she suffered. And Scripture tells us that this disease that she had was kept in place by an evil spirit. So this woman not only was tortured physically, she was also tortured spiritually as well. And To make matters worse, because of her gender, her spiritual state, and her disease, she was dismissed and she was even reviled by all the religious people. To make matters worse, she wasn't even born this way. Her condition happened later in life. So this means that even though she suffers now in all these different ways, she can remember a day when she didn't suffer She can remember a day when she was whole. She can remember a day when she was new. She can remember a day when she could walk and when she could shop and when she wasn't dismissed. Some said that deacons, excuse me, (laughs) this is going to sound very Freudian here in just a moment. Some said that demons had deformed her. (laughs) Ha. Raise your hand if you're a deacon. 
Some said that demons had deformed her, and some said that she had sinned, and others said that God was judging her because of her past moral failures, or maybe even the sins of her uh, mother or father or her ancestors, and yet Jesus was very different. Jesus was very different. He knew she deserved dignity. He knew that she deserved love, no matter the disease that she suffered. Jesus was all about the person He wasn't about the synagogue. He wasn't about the pews. He wasn't about the air conditioning. He wasn't about trying to keep it clean. He was all about the people. And he was about this woman. And in so many ways, Jesus was so ahead of his time. I did some research in the American Association for Psychological Science. did a study uh, just a few years ago, actually, on compassion And compassion actually changes our brain function. It also changes our brain chemistry. And the research showed that empathy activates the pleasure center of the brain, meaning that when we show compassion to people that need it, we feel good. Have you ever felt that before? Ever go visit somebody in the hospital? And you go thinking, well, I'm going to go be a blessing to somebody today. And you show up at the hospital, and then you you pray for that person, you visit that person, you walk out, guess who feels better? You. Because showing compassion is good for your heart, it's good for your mind, it's good for your soul. And Jesus was way ahead of his time. And ultimately, this study determined that we are happier when we give to the needy than when we actually receive. Compassion doesn't just change others, it shapes us. There is invariably somebody today in our sphere of influence who is in need of compassion. Somebody in our sphere of influence today, right now, who's in need of grace, forgiveness, mercy, and compassion. And so let's read this scripture this morning. If you want to, you can open up your Bibles to Luke 13. I'm reading from a little bit of a different translation this morning. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And I'm going to start in verse 10 and conclude in verse 17. It says this, One Sabbath day, as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue... He saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. And then he touched her. And instantly she could stand up and stand straight. And boy, how did she praise God. But the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant. He was angry. He was upset that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. There are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on one of those days to be healed and not the Sabbath. Can you imagine the gall of a religious leader who's cracking back on Jesus for healing someone? You have six days to come for your healings, but we're not supposed to work on the Sabbath day. Does that not sound like a man who cares more about legalistic habits, who cares more about the sanctity of a sanctuary. And then in verse 15, but the Lord replied, Jesus, you hypocrites, each of you works on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it it out for water? This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, by the way, you'll want to underline that, a daughter of Abraham, A daughter of Abraham. By the way, that's the only time in the the entire New Testament that that phrase is used. A daughter of Abraham. It's the only time. 
This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released even on a Sabbath? This shamed his enemies, but all the people rejoiced at the wonderful things that he did. So this morning, I want us to follow the example of Jesus' compassion. And Roman number one, fill in this blank, be prepared, be prepared. But the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. This synagogue leader had invited Jesus to come and speak to the congregation. As many of us would know, Jesus was a fairly uh, renowned communicator at this point in his ministry. He had been traveling uh, all around uh, the areas and had spoken many times in Jerusalem and around Judea and Galilee. And so as much as he was a highly sought-after communicator, Jesus was also highly controversial. As Jesus was speaking, he notices a woman who is eaten up with evil and disease. Again, she's eaten up with evil because it's Satan that has kept her in this place. And, he's, and she's eaten up with disease because of the description that we have here in Scripture. She's hunched over. She's dirty. She's laying in the dirt. She can't stand straight. And perhaps she was laying outside the doors of the synagogue. I imagine maybe the synagogue was set up kind of like what we have here today, a, a central focused area where the teacher of the law gets up and reads from the scrolls as Jesus would have done, and he would have been able to see out maybe the center door. And outside the center door was a woman who was being barred from coming in to the synagogue. This woman, no doubt, had heard all the miracles that Jesus had done. She had heard about all the healings. She had heard about him walking on water. She had heard about how he was favorable toward women when nobody else was very favorable toward women back in these days. So she stood outside the synagogue looking for Jesus. Maybe she was hoping that maybe after the service, Jesus would come down and speak to her. She was probably not banking on the fact that Jesus would pause his sermon right in the middle of reading from the scroll and address her in the middle of a church setting. Jesus did what, others had, uh, did what others would not do. He did not ignore her. He looked at her. He spoke to her. He touched her. And Jesus realized her as a, as a woman. He realized this is a woman made in the image of God and thus possesses intrinsic value and worth. Immediately, she's healed and she stands and her life is radically transformed. Jesus literally performs a miracle in church and the church people don't like it. The preacher doesn't like it. He gets upset. He gets indignant. That's what the scripture says, indignant at Jesus. Do you know what it means to be indignant? How many of you have ever had a two-year-old and you tell that two-year-old something to do. And that two-year-old looks back with a rebellious spirit and streak in his life and heart and mind. And he says no. And he stomps his foot. That is indignant. When you get dug in and you cannot be moved. Well, this religious leader gets indignant. The religious leader at the church he cites the law instead of seeing the physical liberation. Instead of this, seeing the greatness of what Jesus had done, they began to grip over Jesus breaking the rules. You're not supposed to work on Sabbath, Jesus. And yet Jesus fundamentally, fundamentally broke the rule. 
He broke the rule. He broke their rule. At least that's what they felt. Friends, there are always going to be some people that are more concerned with the letter of the law than the liberation of the sinner. There's always going to be some people that are more concerned about the letter of the law than the liberation of the sinner. There always is. But as God's people, we have to find that balance. We have to find that balance of always putting the person first over the procedure. The person always comes first. Well, for those that care more about the procedures, why? It's all about control. The Pharisees wanted control and withhold their compassion. If they withhold their compassion, it continues to put them in a place of power. Everyone has a battle and everybody needs the love of God, but there's always someone afraid because compassion gives control and the results to God. When we show compassion, what we ultimately say is, I'm not in control. When we give compassion to another person, we ultimately say, God, I'm leaving this person in your hands. I'm going to continue to be kind to them. I'm going to continue to be loving to them. I'm going to continue to listen to them. But ultimately, they're in your hands, and I am going to be compassionate towards them. Therefore, God, now you are in control of that person. The lesson also teaches me that compassion changes conditions. Jesus reinforced the point when he responded, this is a daughter of Abraham. That phrase, daughter of Abraham, is unique to Jesus. It does not appear anywhere else, anywhere else in Jewish literature. In the first century, salvation came to women through their husbands. But Jesus saw it differently. To him, she was equal and had a part in the covenant of God like men did. So when you show compassion, when you show compassion as Jesus did, when you show compassion to to, to those that people uh, feel that don't deserve compassion, be ready for the opposition to come. Be ready for it to happen. It's on its way. There are those who will want personal power more than God's presence. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my favorite authors, said, we must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or omit to do and more in the light of what they suffer. It's not about what a person can offer me or you that demands their value or worth. It's about what God did for them and for me that gives that person worth. In Psalm 51, verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Oh, my goodness. Are you thankful for God's steadfast love today? So follow Jesus' example of compassion. One, be prepared. Uh, Two, discover the impaired. Discover the impaired. Verses 10 and 11, one Sabbath day, as Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. Jesus saw this broken woman. He saw this broken woman when nobody else noticed her. Nobody else saw her. Everyone else had ignored her. And Jesus healed this woman when no one else would pay any attention to her at all. It was so obvious that this woman was broke. It was so obvious that this woman was broken and yet no one could see it. 
Why did it take 18 years for her to find some peace and rest? Why did no one else offer to give her a helping hand? Where were the, was the pastor? Where was the deacons? Where was the lay leadership? Where was her family? Where was anybody to be there to help her? I imagine, by the way, that this woman had shown up there at the synagogue for probably more than six days. I imagine that she had come day after day after day. They knew who she was, but they didn't do anything to help her. There were religious reasons, I believe. People in this day believed that if you were suffering, that either you had sinned against God or that your parents had sinned against God. People felt that you were getting your proper punishment. If you were suffering back in these days with some type of physical ailment, if you were dealing with leprosy, it must be that you are a sinner and God is punishing you for that sin. There were physical reasons. People didn't understand back in these days how the body worked. People that were suffering like this woman would have been considered ritually unclean. They were not going to sacrifice their outward holiness to to minister to someone that was so dirty. You can imagine a a holy person walking by and seeing this woman and knowing that she needs help, but you know what? I, I can't touch this woman. I can't speak to this woman because it's going to impact my cleanliness, at least in the eyes of God. As far as healing is concerned, this woman is pretty low-hanging fruit. There were also some social reasons. After all, by the way, it's very clear this was a woman. (laughs) This was a woman. Women uh, during Jesus' day didn't have any rights. The only education that they were to receive was from their husbands. They were forbidden to enter synagogues. They They had hardly any legal recourse at all in their lives. And Jesus did not have to wonder if she was suffering or if she was having a hard day. He just looked at her and knew that she was in trouble. So this morning I want to ask a question, and and, and I I want you to seriously consider it because I had to seriously consider it as I wrote it. Who is your broken person? Who is your broken person? Who is the woman laying in the dirt at your door? Who is the woman that's been suffering for the past 18 years on your watch? And sadly today, it's, it's much harder to see these people than it was back in Jesus' day. For the most part, our hurting people don't crawl around on the ground. They don't lay outside of our church. We have to look a lot deeper these days to see people that are really hurting Our hurt many times is uh, more emotional, it's more mental, it's more spiritual than it is physical, at least here in the United States. We have have such great access to medical care, and so we don't see the, the hurting that's on the outside as much as Jesus may have seen when he was uh, walking around here on planet earth. So we have to ask more questions. We have to look a lot deeper. We've got to get beyond the whole, hey, how you doing? Well, I'm fine, and we just pass like ships in the night. There's got to be a deeper level of understanding between people who are in pain. The broken person that God has put in our lives might be a coworker. It might be a child. It might be your spouse. It may be your partner. It might even, by the way, by the way, It might even be the person that you're sitting with right now on your pew. I tell people all the time, some of the greatest fakers are in church. We we tend to wear the thickest masks here. 
We tend not to show what's really bothering us. We tend not to show the, the pain that we have here. And in order to discover the hurting and the broken, we have to look a lot deeper. Millions of people are looking physically, finally outside, but are broken on the inside, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. We have pew sitters here now who find themselves on the brink of brokenness. There are millions of impaired people all around us that need Jesus. They need what Jesus gave to this woman. And what did he give? Well, you can fill in these blanks. One, he welcomed her. He welcomed her. He didn't shoo her away. He wasn't afraid of her pain. He welcomed her. The next thing he did is he talked to her. Again, back in these days, it was somewhat forbidden for men to even speak to women unless it was, unless it was their wives. And yet Jesus sees this woman with a, who has a soul, who has a life, who has value, has worth, and he speaks to her as she does. And lastly, he worked on her, didn't he? He touched her. Friends, don't be afraid to touch somebody. Don't be afraid to, to put your hand on someone's shoulder. Don't be afraid to put your arm around somebody that's hurting or in pain because that's how we transfer a blessing. By the way, when you see Jesus healing people throughout the New Testament, one of the things that you notice is that he transfers healing and blessing through touch. He does it through words as well. Words are powerful, but he also does it through touch. So he welcomed her. He, he gave her his words. He, he spoke to her. He touched her. He supported her. I had a, a quote as I was studying for this, and the quote was, remember, it's the broken things of the world that God blesses. God uses broken things. It takes broken soil to produce a crop, broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give bread, broken bread to give strength. It's the broken alabaster box of perfume. It's, it's Peter weeping bitterly, broken, who returns, right? Who do you love, Peter? Peter. In Psalm 143, or excuse me, 147, verse 3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Look for the impaired, because they're all around us. Lastly is this, we should be prepared, follow Jesus' example of compassion, be prepared, discover, discover excuse me, the impaired, and rejoice over the repaired. <laughs> we should be excited when people are healed. The shamed his enemies in verse 17, but all the people rejoiced at the wonderful things that he did. We live in a society, by the way, it's so true, that celebrates when things fall. We love to see our hero, heroes fail. And yet in the economy of God, we should see, we should love seeing broken things coming back together again, like that plate video, all the plates falling, all the computers dying, all of the flowers dying. We should rejoice when we receive new life. In Luke chapter 15, verses 4 through 6, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, it says this, a parable, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he just leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that's lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice, because I have found my lost sheep. This woman who was broken, who was lost, she receives renewal. And Jesus celebrates over her because she's found her way back home. 
the crowd that witnesses what Jesus does, and they begin to marvel at him. They can't believe that Jesus is doing something so unique, so different, so foreign. The ones that were more concerned with the law, the rules, the regulations begin to plot against them. Remember, Scripture even tells us that the only thing that stops angels in their tracks, the only thing that stops angels in their tracks is when someone, a lost person, comes to know Christ, they celebrate, and all of heaven rejoices. Imagine the joy that Jesus took in restoring this broken woman. We should all take that type of joy. Friends, if you get angry when someone enters the church, then discovers Christ, you have a real problem on your hands. A real problem on your hands. If you get angry or upset, because we baptize somebody of a different nationality or skin color than you, you have a real problem on your hands. You have a Jesus problem on your hands. Brothers and sisters, that's why we're here. The church is a hospital for sinners. It's a hospital for sinners, not a country club for saints. It's a hospital for sinners, not a country club for saints. That's not why we're here, to stroke each other's egos and make each other feel good. We're here so that lost people will know Christ. All lost people, no matter where they're from, no matter what they look like, no matter what state of togetherness or brokenness that they are in. Church should be a place where it's okay to struggle with depression. Church should be a place that's home to the recovering and relapsing liar. Church should be a place that welcomes the alcoholic and the addicted. Church should be a place where leaders can have faults. Church can be a place where we're not afraid to embrace our pain. Remember, friends, we're all broken. We're all busted. We're all bruised. We're all messed up. And, and, and to think otherwise means that we've got people playing games. None of us have it together. None of us do. There's a point in all of our lives where we need to be touched by God. And today, you are in the hands. You are the hands and the feet of Christ. Use your gifts to help raise the broken from the dirt. In Psalm 34, verse 18, again, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, we come to you. We thank you that we are a part of a church that loves people. Lord, help us to be sensitive to the needs of those around us. Lord, help us to, to see deeper into people's lives, to know when they're struggling, to know when they're hurting, Father, help the church embrace the idea of being a hospital. Lord, I was told a long time ago that uh, I don't go to church because the hospital is filled with hypocrites. And boy, that person had it dead right. We sure are. But Lord, I believe that the, uh, that, that the church is a place where we can receive healing. And Father, I pray that maybe there's somebody in here today that needs your healing touch. Lord Jesus, we ask again your blessings on this message, on our worship, and we pray all these things today in your name. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to today's podcast, and we hope to see you again on Sunday morning. Of course, you can also watch our services live on YouTube. Simply search Eastern Shore Baptist Church on YouTube, and at 10.05, our broadcast starts. We hope to see you soon. God bless you. And again, visit our website, www.myesbc.net. 
God bless you, and we'll see you next week.